Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. And so you've got all these hurdles. I've already failed before. Am I going to do it again? What, what, do, we, what do we do? How, how do we get over all of these hurdles that maybe we've put in front of us? And the mental hurdle is usually the biggest one, at least, at least for me. So when it comes to starting something new or taking a first step, some of you are just doers. You just, okay, I'm going to do it, and you just run. You just go for it. I'm not going to have you raise hands here. Uh, but, and then some of you are extreme planners, extreme planners. And I've had to learn about you uh, who really need all, every single detail before you uh, move on because I'm not that way. And so through the years of, of working in a church and realizing that there are people that before they serve, before they give, before they do something outside, they need to know every little detail along the way. And once they know every little detail, then peace comes, right? And that, that was a really difficult hurdle for me to get over. I'm like, just do it. Just, just here it is. Go, run. Well, what if this happens? Who cares? Just do it. You know, and, and so then I've, I've had to learn through the years. And some of you are saying, thank God, right? And, and so here, and, and, but the problem is with, with those people, sometimes they overthink. And then they overthink, overthink, overthink to the fact that they just won't do anything. So then you've got people who start, but they didn't plan. And the proper planning prevents poor performance. And then you have those that overthink. And then we hope we can find some place in the middle where we think and do, right? Because sometimes it's just the time you do. Well, Jesus talks about this in, in Luke 14. And, and he talks about, in a, in a parable, he says, so there was this dude, and he wanted to build a tower. And so he goes to build this, this tower, and as he's doing it, he runs out of funds. And so what happened? Well, he didn't call the city he didn't look at what all the permits were going to cost. He didn't realize that he was going to have to run sewer and water and electricity. He didn't realize that he had to get all the permits for the plumbers and then had the city had to come out. And all of a sudden, all these things start adding up. He's halfway done with the project. And all of a sudden, employees are knocking on the door saying, hey, my check didn't go through. Give me my money. And, and what Jesus said is then people drive by the building and say, Man, that guy didn't plan. He kind of looks like a fool. And so Jesus was telling this story to his disciples, and the point of the story is you need to count the cost of being a disciple of mine. He, he's saying, this is so important that I don't want you just to run and think, oh, I'm just going to do it, Lord. Yeah, you're the Messiah. I'm going to follow you. And then all of a sudden start yeah, well, I didn't really think about that. Well, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be that difficult. I didn't think work, my workplace was going to be that harsh. I didn't think I was going to be made fun of in school. I didn't, I didn't, just, I just didn't think. I am looking at the next 18 weeks of this year for our church. That's the last 18 weeks of 2019, and I want to lead our church into a time of preparation. I don't, know, I don't know if you're like this at all, but all of a sudden, December starts rolling around, and it's that time of Christ's birth, and all of a sudden, we're hearing all the songs of 
hope and of life and redemption. And all, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, Lord, my heart's not in it. I'm running around, and I'm, I'm busy, and I, I don't know what... I just, I, you know, we just try and have maybe some Christian music on or whatever, and we're trying to get into a place of connection with Christ, and it's busy. It's hard, isn't it? A few of you. It's hard. It's really hard. I was just talking with a friend of mine not too long ago, and I said, you know, honestly, I think I prayed more before I was a pastor. I, I just, I had so much of the world coming at me all the time. I had to pray so much. I mean, I, I pray, don't get me wrong, but honestly, I, I, I think I prayed more when I was in my car, knowing the environments I was going into and the type of things that I was going to face. A preparation. So what are we preparing for? Well, we're going to get there. So can you put up that picture um, I have of my little daughter? Now, first, I'm going to point out the obvious. I didn't have a shirt on, okay? And... Back in 2002, I had a lot more reason not to wear a shirt. And so I, and, and I don't have any digital copies of this, so I literally took a picture with my phone and then I colored on a shirt. <laughs> uh, and then my wife, her hair has stories of its own over on the left. Uh, but this is my daughter, Eden. She's so cute. And we had to put a, like a sticky pink bow on her head because she had no hair and you've seen her, and you know that she has so much hair now, but nobody could tell she was a girl. Um, and it didn't help. I, I put her in camouflage onesies, and especially when my wife left, because she drove her crazy. But it had a little lace around the... Anyway, um, so this is her, and this is a picture of her taking her first steps. Come on. Isn't that exciting? I... She's in college, and then she was supposed to come, and she got in a little fender bender today. It was kind of a bummer in the parking lot, so she was sad. And I take pictures of these, and I send them to her, and she's like, Dad, seriously, you're like, what's wrong with you right now? And I said, I'm trying to deal with the fact that you're gone. But here, in this process, we are so excited. We are making a path for her. We are guiding her, but at the same time, we're letting go. And you know what? When she falls, we would celebrate. Instead of going, oh, are you okay? We would celebrate because they would, you know how kids, they look at you to see if they're hurt, you know, if they should cry. They're, they're playing that cue. They're looking at you. And so what we do is we say, yes, great job. You tried. And we celebrate it. Then they smile and they get back up and you try again. Because why? As parents, we are trying to nurture them and care for them so eventually they can go off on their own. And it's an exciting time. And this is what we were doing. Martin Luther King says, faith is taking this first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And, and he goes on. This is uh, Martin Luther King Jr., so I don't mix that up there. And he, he talks about that there was a, a sign that was on a, a lot of people's houses at the time, and it says, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and there was no one there. Fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and there was no one there. When we take first steps, we are taking first steps in faith, especially when they are things of the Lord. We are going, okay, Lord, 
I'm doing my best here. I'm asking for help, and I'm going to take a first step because the title and what I've put on uh, the graphic, one step leads to another because you know that first step is really hard, but once there's momentum, once there's something coming along with us, it becomes that much easier to keep moving. How many times have you just been in, in a really tough place in your life and someone says, just keep going? Just keep moving because time keeps going. And if we stop, time keeps going. That's why Proverbs says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you. In Exodus 19, Israel had left the land of Egypt through a series of, of miracles to get out of Egypt. And part of this was it, it brought humility on Egypt. It also brought Egypt to understand that there is one true God, and that is the God of Israel. But it was also setting free a people that had been in bondage and slavery for 400 years. And here now Israel sees God is with them. God is, is with them. And, and so in Exodus 19, there is just this momentum, and they're moving, and they're finally taking these first steps. But we all know, if you know this story, you know that there was a lot of trouble along the way. A lot of times that they even wanted to turn back and go back to the people that held them captive. And they get out in Exodus 19 to the point of the base of Mount Sinai, or it's called the Wilderness of Sinai. And God began to speak to Moses from the mountain. And at this place, he gave him a message, and he said, I want you to go to the people, and this is what I want you to say to them. He, he tells them that if they obey God, if they keep his commandments, that they shall be to God a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And if you know in the New Testament, that's what Peter calls us. We are a divine priesthood to God. Moses did exactly what God told him to do. He said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going down. So now he is the broker. He is the mediator. He goes from God, and he goes to the people of Israel, and, and, he, and he says to them, okay, this is exactly what, what God told me. Will you obey? Will you do these things? Now, what, what happened next is one of my very favorite sayings, and I've put this on my wall in different offices. I've put this on my toolbox in my garage, even though I don't use that toolbox as much as I would like to use it. It says in Exodus 19.8, the people all responded together, we will everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So now he got their answer, and he goes back up to the Lord. This one corporate response makes me think what the people of God can accomplish when they're in unity. When, when the people together say, yes, this is the direction we're going. Yes, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it together. Let's go. What a powerful moment for Israel. Now, Moses, at this point, is the prophet for this generation, and he is mediating between God and Israel. He is continuing to broker between them, but God has another plan. And here, they're, they're start, God starts to give rules to Moses, saying, okay, they can't just run up the mountain. Okay, they will, they will die. They have to be prepared. They have to be consecrated. And so he says, we need a time of preparation before people can approach me. 
So now he gives three days, and, and those of you who understand the significance of three days, we know that, that when Jesus died, he was buried, and he was in the tomb for three days, right? This was a time of, of completion. And the third day of completion had arrived, and they are at the base of the mountain, and Sinai was billowing smoke. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's trumpets blaring, it is, it is a holy chaos happening. And at this point, it gets a little strange, and, and I, I'm kind of like, why, why did it happen this way? But God says, oh, pretty much okay, ready. But then Moses is like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, because you said that if they even get up on the mountain, if, if even an animal starts to approach you in a wrong way, they're going to die. What do we do? And then, and then God says, okay, come up with you and Aaron right now. So that's what happens, and here we get into Exodus 20. We get the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. And just, just to brush you up, they have no, no other gods before me. No graven image in the form of anything on heaven above or on earth beneath or the waters below. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Remember, that's the only commandment with the promise that they can live a long life. Uh, six, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servants, animals, wealth, anything. Do not covet. So God wants this nation to be different than all of the rest. He is giving them understanding of who they were designed to be and how they were created to live. That's what the Ten Commandments were. Who they were designed to be, how they were created to live. To understand anything outside of this is contrary to God. We are in his image. So anything outside of these is outside of how he designed us. But natural to a fallen world in which we live today. To oppose those laws are natural to us today. So in Exodus 20, verse 18 to 21, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. Say, stayed at a distance. And said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. He is encouraging them. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This, in my mind, is one of the saddest moments in human history. That God created perfection before the curse of sin or when sin entered the world. God had daily relationship with mankind. This is the way that God had intended life to be, in perfection, in relationship with him. And here God is now. He broke Israel out of Egypt. They have been consecrated. They've been prepared. And now is the time to have relationship with God on the mountain, and they choose to stay at a distance. Now, God sent Jesus for us for the same reason, right? To come up the mountain. Yes, Jesus' death, death 
at once and for all atonement. It was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice to fulfill all sacrifices. Jesus was the path. He was the guide to bring people to him, to help pick people up, like with my daughter when she would fall, to, to create ways to generate relationship. Israel, in turn, literally asked Moses to be their mediator instead of they themselves going before God. They stayed at a distance. Moses' reply was, he's testing you. He's, he's ready. Are you ready? And they were in fear. Once Jesus came into the picture, there were many people who stayed at a distance as well. People who, by Moses' law, were unclean. They had leprosy. They had different diseases. People who were sinners, tax collectors, they stayed at a distance. And then once Jesus was taken by the Romans, we start seeing women who are following at a distance. We see Peter who's following at a distance. We start seeing all of these people starting to step back. Some of us prefer to go to conferences and read books about people who've gone to the mountain, who've climbed the mountain, who've counted the cost. And, and then we end up, in a way, saying, you speak to us, you speak to us, and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to me. And, and I know we're not really saying that, but in a way, are we? In a, in a way, are we not willing to count the cost, to start making sacrifices, to be closer to God? What more does, does God need to do? He sent Christ for us. And I, I believe as a church that like Israel, and it's different, we're under the new covenant, but I believe there can still be a time of preparation for us. A time for us, in some, some cases, to take a first step. In some cases, some of you are running. You're, you, that momentum has been with you. You've been chasing Jesus for years. But I think for a lot of us, that there is really a time to take a first step. And I'm inviting you into a time of preparation and a time of discipline. Now, I have no desire to encourage us to start something over the next few weeks or few months, and then it just kind of goes to the wayside like other things in our lives, right? We're not starting an Atkins diet. We're not starting the next keto thing here, okay? I am concerned about a lifetime of following Jesus. I am inviting or I am re-inviting you and encouraging each of us to count the cost of pursuing Jesus together. Like Jesus did with his disciples in Luke 14. Are you willing to count the cost? So I'm inviting you to take incremental steps for a lifetime of worship, for a lifetime of praise and faithfulness to Jesus. Now there are 168 hours in a week and now that you're here for an hour, that gives you 167 hours. 
And then, of course, your time that you eat, the time that you work, and the time that you sleep. How much of that have you given to the Lord? Now, I want you to think of this. In Matthew 13, here's another parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And so we have the farmer or the gardener, maybe it'd be a little more fitting for us here, and they're spreading seeds, okay? And they're just throwing it around. And he gives four examples, and one is the seed that's on the path, and this seed is just not in good ground. It's being trampled, and the birds are coming up and taking it out, and those seeds, just they just have no life. And then secondly, the seeds that lie on this, the rocky ground. The terrain is just so hard. The ground is so difficult. And, and the Bible tells us that the sun comes and it, it, they, the plant births up quickly, right? So we just ran. We didn't think about it. And then it just blah, withers and turns brown and it's laying on the rock. And then there's the seed that's thrown into the weeds, and this one gets choked out. Its nutrients are robbed. I mean, at my house, I've, we get the, I don't even know what they're called. One of you probably know those vines that kind of come up, and then they just intertwine, and then they start choking out even big trees. I've got this entire huge, huge tree that is totally dead because it's been, all the nutrients have been sucked out of it. And this, this is the seed that, that Jesus is describing, is that we're, we're just thrown in, in the midst of so much chaos that we can't even get the sun on us. And then lastly is the good soil. It is planted deep into soft, worked soil. It is watered, and the sun comes and gives it life, and then it reaps a harvest of 30 and 60 and 100-fold. And so the question that we have to ask is, what kind of ground are we? Does God even have anything to work with in our lives? And then, the, the thing that is totally countercultural about this is that the first three seeds that I described are our culture because we get everything so quickly. I mean, it, it's just, we, we expect it fast. And, and when, when our, maybe our discipleship process or, or just our prayer time or things are just not happening as quickly as we want, then we just kind of wither. But here's the thing about God and the character of God. He is a patient parent and he's sitting there and he's saying, okay, take another step. Get up. Get up. You can do this. And as a church, this is where we're at. And I want us to be able to start taking some steps. And some of us need to get up again. Okay, we're going to do it. And I'm going to help, at least try and help and give some tools that over the next 18 weeks that we're able to take small incremental steps because I don't care about somebody reading the Bible in two months and then never reading it again. Okay, we're talking about a lifetime of praise, a lifetime of worship, a lifetime of relationship with Christ. Second Timothy 4, 7, Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith long, planned out, purpose, intention. So here is where it gets a little bit more practical and what I'm going to show you is something I worked on many years ago, and it just felt fitting for this, and it's only a tool, and that's all it is, is a tool, okay? So um, I call it a PDP. It's a personal development plan, and you can take it or leave it, and maybe it'll give you ideas. Um, 
But let me, can you hold off on that for just a second? Just take it off for just a moment. So just, just so you can understand how I got to this. And if you open up, if you got one of these today, you should have, in the very back page, you tried to hide it so you wouldn't pull it out right away. Some of you may be missing one. And if some of you are really particular about cuts on this, I can't cut straight at all. So you can blame me for that. <clears throat> so um, when, I, when I started working in, in a group home uh, for uh, people who had gotten in a lot of trouble, um, I started working as a staff there. Then I uh, became a case manager. And then we started a new company, and, and I was the first mental health practitioner. And when we were doing this as a case manager or as um, a practitioner, we would have a treatment team. So this would be social workers, uh, probation officers. This would be uh, house staff and whoever else was around a table. And we would, with um, the diagnosis of whatever they had from the therapist and psychologist, we would work on a treatment plan. And so what these treatment plans were is you can't say everything that's bad and say, okay, now go fix yourself, right? That, that's a really, really difficult place to be. It'd be kind of like this. Women, if you're married and you're in your first month of marriage and now you're past the part of him being attractive and you see clothes on the floor, you see, clothes, you see dishes in the sink, you see a whole lot of things undone. Yes, men start touching the back. Yes, start touching them right now because you might still be doing these things. And so you're looking right away and you're going, oh my goodness, did he even have a mother? And, and so if you now go and bring all of these things and say, you are terrible, you're a terrible human. I don't even know if you're human, matter of fact. You're so messy. And... <laughs> And at this point, this is not a good way to start this conversation, right? And some of you have already gone this route, and it was kind of painful. And so you might feel better for a moment, but at this point, you're piling on, right? And that's just not going to work. So then maybe now at this point, he's the victim, and he's like, either he tries, but maybe he goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And so either he just doesn't know how to respond, or now you're fighting about it. All these things are happening. So the one thing that that what happened is you just gently say, I'm going to pick one thing. What is the thing that's driving me the most nuts right now? What can we do? And you think of that thing, okay? And you say, I want that underwear off the floor. I'm so sick of this. And then you work on the underwear. And then when that, you go, hallelujah. Because in 10 years, you're going to have a fine man. Okay? Now, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know who Craig Rochelle is. He has this just incredible church, Life Church. They are the ones that bring you the Bible app for free. They've done incredible ministry. I've been listening to him for years, reading his books. And something he talks about is he says once a year, in the, before the year starts, he picks one thing. One. And that's the one thing that he attacks. And he says if people are like, oh, you should be doing five or six. He goes, no, one. Because in 15 years... I have now disciplined 15 things, and it totally changes your life. And so that's kind of the way that, that I looked at this uh, personal development plan. Okay, you can go ahead and put it up. So I looked at a treatment plan that, that we used to use for people, and then I started doing some editing because I was really wanting people to get discipled. And I thought, what, if this, what would this look like for us 
in a church or in a youth group if we actually created a plan. So you put your name. Now you have an accountability partner, somebody that you can actually say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And then you actually have accountability with it. And then your areas of growth. So these first three areas are areas just in your life. Maybe you're like, I need to have more dates. Maybe I need to actually spend time with my kids a little bit more. Maybe I need to spend some more time at the house because I'm an extrovert and I like to be out all the time. And this is just, you just pick three things. Then you go to the objectives part. And you go, okay, how much am I praying? How much scripture reading am I doing? And then you see there's a growth area, only one growth area. Out of those three, you can only pick one. What is the most pressing, the most important at this time? And so then you have your check-in time. This is now you can actually talk to your accountability partner. You have a check-in. You have completed dates. And then you decide, hey, did I choose too little or did I choose too much? Do I need to make an adjustment on my plan? And then the PDP notes, that's SOAP, that's Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So when you're reading the Bible, it's just a really good acronym, SOAP. It's when you're reading the Scripture, you observe the Scripture. Is there an application to it? And then you pray about it. All this is is a guide. It's just a tool, but only for 1990. No, just kidding. <clears throat> because, and, and then there's a part at the bottom where you sign it, because studies have shown that if you actually sign your name to something, you're much more likely to actually do it. So again, this is a tool. All this is, is that I am trying to help our church, help myself be people that are taking a step. To be, start taking a step and what do we need to do? And this is just an action item that for some of you, it's, it's in your hands, and it's something that, that you can actually do, or maybe it'll just cause you to think and, and actually create a plan. Now, for some of you who are like, I've done this before, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to share this story. And I, I was, I honestly, I started to cry when this happened to me. So I found my first victim to use my PDP plan with, <clears throat> and it was a young teenage girl, and we were in the foyer of the church, and uh, I said, okay. I put out the plan. I'd already kind of laid it out for the youth group at that time, and I, I looked at her, and she put her head down. She wouldn't even look at me, so she is one of the most difficult, you know, had the teenage attitude, and I always really like that. I'm like, yes, okay, now we have something to, you know? It's fun, and, and so I'm like, okay, let's go, and her head is down, and I, I said, okay, let's look at the first line. If you, if you notice, ooh, look, I got, a, I got a light here. Look at this. Ah, prayer. I said, how much are you praying right now? Go. And she, with her head down, she goes like this, zero. Honest answer. See, this is why I like people, just honesty, you know? I'm like, yes, zero. And then I said, okay, what if we pray, your first goal is two minutes, and all of a sudden, her head sprang up, and she goes, I could do that. Now, some of you are going, two minutes? Are you kidding me? You need to aim higher. Well, maybe, but you know what? She was sure encouraged, and it's two minutes, and she was praying before on day one. And just maybe that's going to increase because she's taking a first step and then another. And so, church, I'm not trying to put some kind of load on us to say, okay. No, I'm saying I want us to be walking in a lifetime relationship of praise and worship with God our Father and to be in a relationship with him. And, church, if we're not doing anything, let's start small. We've got tables of things to get involved. 
We've got, we've got groups going on. We have things that you can start doing because when we're together, we're better. If you want to mature in your faith, I, I just want to encourage you to take a step. So we're going to take these incremental steps for a lifetime relationship with Jesus. Like I said, some of you already are. And here's my hope and here's my vision for us. I believe that each step that you make towards Jesus is one step away from the world. And each step makes our church stronger and more effective for the kingdom of God. I'm going to say this one more time. Each step that you make towards Jesus is one step away from the world, and each step makes our church stronger and more effective for the kingdom of God. Would you please stand? We are going to be having some fun today. I really hope that you're able to stick around, that you're able to have lunch with us, that your kids are able to run around and play. We're going to have tables out for you to sit. I mean, good grief, we're having cheese curds after the state fair. What could be better? And I want to encourage you to just right now to start making, because remember I said one of the biggest hurdles is a mental hurdle when it comes to discipline. When it, I mean, just think of working out. I mean, if you're going to go to the gym, man, you have to start thinking, oh, man. And you're thinking about it, right? It's, you, you're wrestling with that for how long before you actually go to the gym and see how much it costs. And then you're like, oh, I'll just buy something at home. So what I'm asking this week, take this, maybe find somebody, call somebody. We, got, we have such mature believers in this church that would love to be an accountability partner with you. I mean, they, I'm telling you right now, we have so many people that would love to do this with you, to walk through and to start making a time to make that step. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you with us. And since I've been thinking about this and praying about this now for quite a while. I'm, I've already kind of had some direction for myself personally. And then over the next 18 weeks, we're going to be doing this as a church as well. So I want to invite you into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for each person in this place. And Lord, I know that you have plans and purposes for us. I know, Lord, that you have called us to be more than just standing on the sidelines that you've called us for more than, than uh, standing at a distance. Lord, you have called us to approach your throne. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that we can be a church that is not afraid to approach your throne. I pray that we can be a church that is not afraid to, in the supermarket, pray for people. Lord, I pray that we are a church, that we are not afraid to share the hope that is within us, that is burning within us because you have called us to you. Lord, I pray that this week for, for those that are, are looking at taking some first steps, Lord, that you begin to burn in them steps for them to be able to take, Lord, so our hearts and our lives can be soil, Lord, that you can work with and not hard ground. So, Lord, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit begins to penetrate the hearts of your people, Lord, where there is hardness, Lord, where there is shame, where there is resentment, where there are things, Lord, that we're just dealing with, Lord, I just pray that you begin to break that hard ground 
In your holy name we pray. And the church said, amen and amen. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.